0: My name is Brian. It's really, really good to, to meet you. If we haven't met yet, I'd like to say hello after the service. I want everybody to do something for me. Um, I want you to lean over to the person next to you and I want you to share when you were 18, what did you think you would be doing at your current age that you're at right now? Where were you going to live? What would be your job? What would you do? What would your relationships look like? Ready, go. Ah! Uh, uh, there we go. There we go. This is this is it. <laughs> if I if if I throw the papayas out, I will. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll get dinged for liability purposes. Okay. So here's my question. Here's my question. Wouldn't you agree that people who are 18 right now have way more opportunities uh, ahead of them? Uh, then let's say, those of you who are in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Wouldn't you agree? That is absolutely... the, the what is What you can do, not just the inter, uh, invention of the Internet, but the idea of college being promoted and all of that, it, it's just so mind-boggling, the opportunities that we have. So Lisa and I went uh, to have sushi lunch yesterday... I'm not going to tell you the location because I don't want to increase the wait time there. Um, but it's a great place. It's sort of like that way. And we love the spring rolls you can get with the duck sauce. And the sushi is just great and it's inexpensive. And we just love going there. Anyway, so what we did is we, we were talking yesterday about this very thing about how blessed we feel that our, our kids are following their passions and loving God and just following what they want to do vocationally. But also the fact that, my goodness, when we were 18, what, the things that were available to us, uh, Lisa, Lisa was mentioning that, you know, raised by a single mom, that the, the opportunity of college just seemed so remote. It, it took a recruiter, a friend of ours, uh, Russell Johnson at Kentucky Christian University, even to say, I can help you pay for college. Like, it wasn't even a possibility. For me, my parents didn't, didn't go to college, and so... Uh, for me, it was just, hey, get a business degree, and that was it. And But the, the thing was, for me, I've never told you this. I've never actually told anyone other than, than my wife, is that when I was a junior in high school, uh, I wanted to go to West Point. And so I wanted to um, go into the military for a season. I didn't want to make a career of it. But I wanted to go to West Point. And I, part of that comes from the fact that my grandfather was in the military. So this is a picture of my grandfather. I'll let you guess which one is my grandfather. Um, that's the one on the right. And uh, so he was in the Merchant Marines in World War II and traveled all over servicing ships and, and just told me amazing stories about his time in the service. Um, he, when he got out, he became a Franklin County Sheriff. And all the time, he would take me into the county jail. And, I, like, I'm talking to prisoners and eating the prison food. And so I've just been around the armed services, and I've been around people in the military my entire life. And so um, I, 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 I love them. I love people who are, who are serving in the capacity. We have so many cops and FBI agents and people in this church. I just love all of you and uh, have so much respect for you. So... Um, It was really strange for me when at the very last second I pulled the plug on not going to West Point. I wanted to be an army ranger, I wanted to go places, and um, I remember the weight of guilt, and I still feel this at times, the weight of guilt that I felt when we invaded Iraq. It was our first year in seminary, Princeton. Our professor stopped class and said, I just want to let everybody know, uh, we've now officially invaded Iraq, and we want to have a time of prayer. And as everyone is praying, I'm feeling this tremendous weight of, I should be over there with the people that I went to school with, with friends, colleagues, all of that. Now, I share that because isn't it interesting the way our lives work out? Now, I just happen to believe my passion for protecting people is actually spiritual now in terms of of the way I pastor this church and want to make sure everyone grows to full devotion. So God is using me in that, but it's different. I often wonder, honestly, what my grandfather would think. But I want to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to be very brutally honest in the way you answer these questions. What would you have done differently with your life? Like, if you at 18 could have made a completely different decision, what would, you, would you have done it exactly the same? What would you have done differently? Here's another question. How would your life be different if blank didn't happen? Like, if that particular thing didn't happen, I'm talking about like in a negative way, What would your life be like today? Because so many of us are like, yeah, I wanted to do this, but then this happened. Here's another question. If you could do anything with your life right now, what would it be? Now, all of these questions are very self-indulgent. Let's just be honest. These are first world questions. Nobody in Bogota, Colombia is getting up this morning and asking, is my life fulfilling? Does it have meaning Uh, No one in uh, Turkana, Kenya, is getting up. They're thinking about, what am I going to eat today? So these are very first world questions. That's why I think a better question is this. What if everything that has led you to this point wasn't an accident? What if everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the meaningful, what if it wasn't an accident? Maybe what if you are exactly where God wanted you to be? The issue that we Americans have because of our wealth and because of our opportunities is that we always, and I guarantee you every person in this room deals with this just a little bit. Everybody has this vision of what their life is going to turn out to be. Like there's the perfect edition of their life that is unencumbered by difficulty and and little detours and stuff. But then there's my real life. So there's the, the life that I thought I was going to have And then there's my real life. And I love what Cheryl Strayed says in her book, Brave Enough. She said, I'll never know, and neither will you, about the life you didn't choose. We'll only know that whatever that sister life was, it was important and beautiful and not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't come for us or didn't carry us. There's nothing to do but salute it from the shore. So we're starting a new series today. and We're calling it, What is God's Dream for My Life? And we believe that there are many dreams. It's not just work, but it's people and relationships and experiences and what we accomplish and what we we give back, all, all of these sorts of things. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the life of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph. And I love Joseph because he's just like us. Joseph never met an angel. Joseph never saw a miracle. Joseph never heard from God this audible voice. He's just like you and me. But he was able to take a dream that God gave him and see it come to fruition in the same way God has a dream for everybody in this room. And so Joseph's life is really, really weird. At 17 in the middle of the night, God wakes him up with a dream. The very next morning, he goes to his 11 brothers, one of 12, tells his 11 brothers, hey, I just wanted to let you know, last night I had a dream, and I think it's about you guys. There was a big stalk of wheat, and it was standing there upright, and then 11 other stalks leaned over and began to worship the other stalk of wheat. Isn't that great? Surprisingly, the brothers, not very excited about this idea. Sold him into slavery. Slave traders took him down to Egypt, sold him to the chief of police, a guy named Potiphar. While he was in Potiphar's household working, Potiphar's wife makes a move on him. Potiphar then sent him into jail where he languished. While he was languishing, beaten, malnourished, there were a couple people that worked with Pharaoh that got knocked up on some trumped up charges, got sent to prison met Joseph in prison, and while in prison, Joseph interpreted a couple of their dreams. When they got out, they went back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, not coincidentally, had a couple dreams of his own that was keeping him up at night. Oh my gosh, is there anybody in Egypt that can interpret my dreams? And a couple of the people were like, there was a guy we met in prison by the name of Joseph, sprung Joseph out of prison, interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and all of a sudden now, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Can you imagine? Here's what we're going to do. I want to give three big ideas that are sort of like placeholders that are going to help us understand the life of Joseph, but I have some homework. I want you to read the book of Genesis, chapter 37, starting in 37 all the way to the end, chapter 50. And what I want you to do is I want this, this to be a teaching experience where you're reading during the week. And we're coming here and we're looking at these passages because I believe that every single person here, God is going to be placing dreams on their life. And so the first thing that I want to say is, God has a dream for everyone. Joseph was 17. How old was Abraham when God put a dream on his heart? 80? 90? Like there's someone here that's 75 and you've stopped dreaming about what God can do for the, your life. And you need to understand that God has a dream for you at 75. Now at 76, that's the cutoff point. There are no more dreams. <laughs> after. All right. So verse, verse, or chapter 37, verse 5 says this. Joseph had a dream. When I was 18, I had a dream to move and start this church in a major unchurched metro area. No idea that, that all of this would happen so here's the, mis- the major mistake that people make. A dream is not a destination. It's not a goal that you accomplish. Like, hey, I'm 38. What am I going to do? I've started Facebook, and I have nothing else to look forward to, right? I'm a multi-gajillionaire. A dream is not a destination, but it's a direction and a continuous series of events that build on one another. So as disciples of Jesus, what we have to think about our lives are more about the direction and not like a straight line of action, okay? I don't know how many of you have not seen uh, the movie Field of Dreams. We never know who visits. There might be some Amish people here today. Field of Dreams is a movie. Ray Kinsella is a guy in Iowa. feels voices are talking to him to go and build a baseball diamond so that famous players from the past can come. Turns out, spoiler alert... It's all about his dad at the end, okay? Now, he goes and talks to a guy named Doc Graham. Doc Graham is a guy who worked very hard to get to the majors and played only one inning and didn't get to bat. So Ray's having this conversation with Doc Graham in the movie. Doc Graham says, one of my regrets about baseball is that I never got a chance to hit, because I know if I, if I had a chance to hit, I would have stood strong at the plate. And right when the guy was getting ready to pitch, I would have looked at him and winked. said, I've always wanted to do that. But then Doc Graham quit. After that one inning, he quit and went into medicine, became a doctor. So Ray's having this conversation. What is it like to be so close to your dream? What is it so? Li- what is it? What is it like to experience that kind of tragedy? Ray said, "50 years ago, you came so close. It would kill some men to get that close to their dream and not touch it. They would consider it a tragedy." And then Doc Graham says, "Son, if I had only gotten to be a doctor for half an inning, now that would have been a tragedy." Now that is someone who understands the importance between accomplishing things and focusing on their dreams. Many think that Joseph's dream was to rule over Egypt. Joseph's dream that God gave Joseph was about being reunited with his brothers, and we'll get to that at the last week. Many people think that my dream was to start a large church in Philadelphia. My dream was simply to love my wife and kids, grow to love Jesus more, and then Help other people grow to love Jesus more and the people they love more. That was it. So, Jeremiah 45, 5. I want you to memorize this verse. This is going to be important for this series. Are you seeking great things for yourself? Seek them not. In other words, the dream, what God wants you to accomplish for your life, is not something that you can come up with on your own. Because typically what we will do is we will look to other people, and that's going to invalidate our importance. I'm going to do what this person wants to do. I'm going to go and read a career-finding book, find out what my strengths are, and I'm going to do this. no, 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 no. God is going to give you the dream. Everybody's going to have dreams. God's going to give them to you. But here's the second thing. Dreams can't become a reality until God refines the dreamer. There were 13 years between age 17 and age 30 when Joseph actually began to rule Egypt. And in between, it says that he was forgotten. Genesis 40, 23 says, The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You know what's interesting is that in that time of 13 years, being forgotten and being alone. It's interesting that today is Mother's Day. We have some incredibly talented people here in the room where you have spent quite a bit of time with things like poop, (laughs) diapers, and homework, and worrying where they are, and what kind of influence that you're going to have over their lives, and as they get older, you don't stop being a mom and wishing things could be even different in terms of the time you get to spend with them and who's affecting their life and how are they turning out. When, when this passage talks about being forgotten, there is this theological phrase called Deus abscontitus. Deus abscontitus is Latin for the hidden God. And every single person in this room has experienced God like, oh my gosh, God is like right here. I feel like we're tight. We're connected. But then there are other times when you're going through a season and you feel like God is distant. Uh, Deus absconditus. God is hidden from you. For 13 years in Joseph's life, it felt like he was completely and utterly off track. That God was abandoning him. That God had left him. God was busy helping other people. And some of you feel that way right now. You feel forgotten. You feel like at this point in my life, I was convinced that the way my life was going to work out is this was going to happen and this was going to happen. There is the version of your life that you thought was going to come to pass, and then there's the reality, and the divergence between the two is so, so broad. That's why it brings us to this third point. God's dream for our life comes through what seems like random encounters, mishaps, and missteps. I tell Lisa all the time, who would have ever thought that you would have married me, we'd have three daughters, and I would be a pastor living in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Like, Philadelphia, what, why are we all here? What is, what is happening? Like, what is this? How many of you are not from here? Raise your hand, and you're like, "Why are wait, wait, Philadelphia? Why did I get transferred to Philadelphia? What in the world?" Now, obviously, we love it here. It's perfect. We, you know, you're two hours away from the mountains. You're two hours away from New York City. You're two hours away from Baltimore. We don't go to them, go to those places at all, ever. But it's nice that they're there. It's nice that they're there, right? But who would even dream? Like, if you would have planned it out, there's no way you could have even guessed that your life, you would be sitting with the people that you're with in these rows, and here you are in these circumstances. I'm just always blown away at the random encounters and mishaps and the way God works things in our lives. For instance, um, uh, Lisa and I lived in uh, Clearwater, Florida. I was associate pastor of a large church there, and Lisa joined the choir. It was an old congregation with with, like stately buildings and then a choir that has been there for decades and decades. And they had socials, and so there was a social on a Wednesday night before choir practice, and Lisa had met um, a young lady, and her husband came to the social. So anyway, the four of us are sitting there talking, and to make small talk, I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Ohio. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm from Ohio. I said, Where are you from in Ohio? He said, Columbus. I'm like, get out of here. I'm from Columbus. I said, Where in Columbus? So he mentions the suburb I'm like I'm from that suburb. He was like, I was like, where, where did he, and he named the neighborhood. I'm like, I used to play with my friends in that neighborhood all the time. He said, I said, what high school? And he named the high school that we both went to. He said, you know, our science teacher, the biology teacher, his last name was, it was Mr. Dale, but everybody called him Elad. I'm the one that named him Elad, Dale backwards. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the Elad guy? So we're going crazy, right? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I'm in Wegmans. I noticed that there is an elderly lady that is struggling to grab like some broccoli or zucchini, I don't remember which, but she's struggling. And so I just walked over and I said, excuse me, ma'am, can I help you with this? She said, yes, dear. Had to be 90 years old. Petite little thing. So I go and I grab it and I hand it to her and I look at her jacket and she has an Ohio State jacket on. And I look at her and I'm like, what is is a person like you wearing a high state jacket in a place like this? She said, oh, I tell you, everybody's Penn State fans. And I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from Columbus. And I'm like, I'm from Columbus. And she said, where are you from? And I'm like this. And so she said that she was from the very suburb in Columbus that my mom was from. And so she asked me, you ever do this, you meet someone, they're like, I'm from New York City. Well, I have a friend in New York City. Well, what's their name? There's only 18 million people there. <laughs> and I said, uh, her name is, uh, and I told her her name, and then she said, are you kidding? And I said, no. She said, did she graduate in high school to such and such a year, and did she live in such and such a place? I said, yes. She said, I was her babysitter for two years. Now the fact that I just completely made up that story does not detract from the point that I'm making. The first one was true, not the second one, right? Sorry. Did you believe that? Did you really believe that? I'm so sorry. There we go. I'm so sorry. Anyway. A point in the story with Joseph that I would have loved to have been there for was it Genesis 41, 41. says this, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. I would have loved to have been there and just walk up and say, so Joseph, what are you thinking right now? What's going through your mind? He would have been like, I was a 17-year-old kid, ripped away from my family for 13 years, sold into slavery. I'm framed by this guy's wife. I end up in prison, and now I'm in charge of Egypt. Go figure. The reality is, as disciples of Jesus, we assume that now God is in charge of our lives, and so our lives are going to look like This. There is point A, where we are right now, and we just know that God is involved right now. The way this thing is going to go down is it's going to be this straight path all the way to B. And then Jesus calls us to actually follow Him, and following Jesus starts like this at point A, and then... that's what it looks like, right? Who would have ever guest. And so as we go through these passages, as you are reading this week, and as we are talking in our messages, I have a simple task for everyone here. And the task is this. I either want you to change your route, or I want you to change your perspective. There are some people here that God has a dream for your life, and what He is calling you to do is to change your trajectory, to change your route. There's something you need to change. But then there are also a number of disciples of Jesus here who believe that what God is calling them to do is change the route. And God is like, no, 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 no. You need to stay on this route. What you need to do is you need to change your perspective. It's one or the other. What's holding us back is we think we're going on the wrong route or we have the wrong perspective on the route that we're on. It'll be interesting to see what God does over the next few weeks in all of our lives. Let's pray. We thank you so much, God, for the way you've called us to follow you. But even just taking a map of your walking route in Israel over three years, should confirm to us the circuitous, random, bizarre, beautiful, and powerful ways that you're going to call us to follow you and live. God, we just pray that you would open up our minds. Are we on the right path? Or do we need to change our perspectives? We pray that you would help us to see one or the other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.